0: no you're not broken you're not crazy you're not defective it's your body adapted your brain did brain things and now we have a problem but okay but you're not crazy you're not broken it's not a thing
1: is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted defeated and hopeless you are not alone and i want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at CalmTheChaosPodcast.com. I am beyond excited about today's podcast. If you have ever felt like you constantly get stuck in cycles of self-shaming, self-blame, or you feel like you just can't get going on a project that you've always wanted to get going on, or you feel like you fall back into cycles in your parenting where you go back to yelling, you go back to screaming, and you're like, what is wrong with me? I have got the perfect guest today. I'm so excited to invite Britt Frank onto the show. So Britt, I've got a whole bio over here, and (laughs) I will read that. But right now, I just want to hear From you, Um, can you tell everyone who you are, what you do, and kind of how you got into this?
0: Yeah, so I have like my my professional forward facing credentials, and then my oh my gosh, this is actually what's behind the scenes that I don't put on my resume, and I'm happy to share both. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah, why why not? So I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I'm a trauma expert. And earlier in my career, I was a play therapist. So child development and play therapy was a big, big one for me. I think you have to watch kids in order to know how to human as an adult. So that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm the author of the book, The Science of Stuck. And I speak and I write and I do all of those lovely professional things. And I'm also just a recovering disaster of a human being. And, you know, my DSM diagnosis list is not short. It's like a scroll. And I was a drug addict and eating disorders and personal trauma and adult trauma, like just a hot mess of a human. And so now I get to share from both sides of the couch.
1: Hmm. And when you said that in your book, when you said, I'm a hot mess of a human, I was like, you're my people. <laughs> like This is so amazing. I cannot wait to talk to you. Um, I mean, every time every, I was going through the book and I got home and I told my husband, I was like, you have got to listen to this. You've got to read this book. <laughs> and I was telling him some of the, the big points that we're going to talk about today. And he's like, I should be doing this interview. This sounds amazing. So um, he's a little jealous, but Yay. he is also sleeping in. So
0: it is early. That's how excited I was to talk to you. I'm like, this is the only time we can do this. So like, we're doing it.
1: We're doing it. We're jumping in. So um, one of the things that I absolutely loved about your book is the way that you present the information, you make it digestible, you make it understanding, like or easy to understand and accessible for all sorts of people, especially people who are stuck. And when we're feeling stuck, we can feel really overwhelmed, stressed out, and and information can't get into our into our head. And so um can you just talk a little bit just about the tenets of the science of stuck and what really led you to this work?
0: Yeah, and thank you for saying that. That's the my the feedback that warms my heart the most is when people are like, "Oh, this makes sense. Like I can actually yes. digest this." Because I've found both as a recovering human and as a clinician that the information is either so overwhelming and so academic and so heady and unnecessarily like multisyllabic that you can't absorb it. When your brain's on mm-hmm. fire, you don't want to sit there and read peer-reviewed research studies. It's just like, "No. No, no, no." But the other problem on the other side of the street is that the other information is so reductive and simplistic and just think positive, take it around. It's like that is not helpful either. And so this book came out of my frustration with when I was going through recovery, I needed one book that just gave me high level stuff. Mm-hmm. So that book didn't kind of like a Cliff's Notes, sort of like a Zagat guide to all of the things. So the science of Stuck is not just here's Brits, you know, here's my opinion on life. I mean, make no mistake, I've snuck that in there. But largely the book is my show and tell of, listen, in mm-hmm. 10 years as a practicing therapist, and like triple that as a trying-to-human human, human. here are all the things I found useful, and here they are summarized and bullet-pointed. But if you want the deep dive, here's all the articles and books I'm referencing. So when your brain calms down, you can go back. It's like, oh, I really liked this point about... Anxiety being a superpower. Great. When your brain calms down, that's the trailhead that you follow. But I just wanted bullet points. I wanted to be able to sit and pee and open a book and get something useful and then close it and throw it back on the floor.
1: I swear we are besties, just (laughs) destined, destined to be besties. That is exactly um, how I approach things as well. So I'm absolutely just like, I love it. So I'm actually (laughs) say, keep the book next to the bathroom so that you can read while you pee. You can read one or two minutes here or there. Um, I love that. So you actually just mentioned what I wanted to talk about next is you talk about something that can be hard for people to accept, but wow so helpful when you can really understand this concept. Can you talk a little bit about this idea that anxiety is not an attack, that it's a signal, that it can be a superpower? Can you talk a little bit about that and what you want people to walk away with?
0: Yeah, people get mad when I'm like, anxiety is your best friend. It's like, my throat's
1: Shoe at head. As a, as someone who has like a lot of anxiety, and I don't know if I'm saying that right in your way of saying things, yeah, but yeah. you know, I am someone who their anxiety shows up quite a bit in my life. And um, I wish I'd known that's what it was when I was a child, because I would have been able to do so much more with it. But now that I know that it's there, it has made such a big difference in like, oh, I'm having a, you know, there's, hold on, something's something's up and I need to pay attention. And so I I loved your section, even though I am someone who like lives with it all the time. Me too.
0: And that's my caveat. I'm not saying you have to like it and I'm not saying it feels good. (laughs) And I'm not saying sometimes you don't need to medically manage it so you can function without your heart explode. Like I get that it is a not a very unpleasant body response, but the, Mm -hmm. the kind of corollary is if you think about food poisoning, when you eat poisoned food, and if you've ever had it, 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 I can't think of, I can think of a few things more unpleasant than just things shooting out of every place. But like, that is a sign that your body is doing what it's supposed to do. So you don't die. So as much as I do not enjoy like the sweats and face down trying to puke in one thing and that, that's your body doing what it needs to do to help you. Nobody would call that vomiting a vomit attack. It's like, no, you're, you're poisoned. And so your body is like getting rid of the poison in a very unpleasant way. So anxiety is the same way. It's not fun, but the function of it is not to harm you. Like we were all taught, or I'm not all, I was taught, and I'm sure most of us were taught that your brain is something to be feared. You know, oh my God, your brain's attacked you and your inner critic is out to get you and anxiety is, you know, you have to battle it. It's like, no, 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 no. First of all, let's start with the assumption. Your brain is on your side always. doesn't mean you have to like what it's doing. And it's like, I'm not, and I get angry messages. It's like, well, you know, you're minimizing people's pain. I'm like, listen, I've got childhood, sexual trauma, adulthood, assault. Like I take psych meds. I go to therapy. I am not sitting here saying everything is fine. Like, no, I am saying the function of anxiety is self-protective. Anxiety is a mm-hmm. signal. Without it, how are we supposed to know if a stove is hot or if a street is dangerous or if a relationship is toxic? We, I don't like it, but anxiety is the smoke alarm of your brain. If you don't have a smoke alarm when there's a fire, you're going to be in trouble. So if yeah. we can redefine anxiety doesn't attack you, it's, it's a signal. Like when people are like, well, what do you call an anxiety attack? It feels like an attack. It's not. It's an Just call it an anxiety if you have to have the language. An anxiety episode. I don't like gatekeeping terms, but like it doesn't attack. And the reason it's important not to call it an attack is because your brain will hear you go, oh no, I'm having an anxiety attack. Then it will literally think you're being attacked and then it will ramp mm-hmm. up all the stress hormones that you're trying to get rid of. So it's not just me being like, I don't like that word. It's no, that word is going to cause a chemical reaction in your brain that you're not going to like. So don't use mm-hmm. it. Just say I'm having anxiety.
1: I love that. I actually saw this firsthand. I just got back from Kenya and I got to see the Great Migration where they go across the cross. They they cross the, the Mara River. And I learned that zebra don't remember their fear. And so they, unless they're faced with it. And so I have this video of six crocodiles staring at zebra, all with their heads down drinking water. And when they look up and they see the crocodile, they run backwards. But when they don't see the crocodile, they run forward. And I was like, I'm so thankful for my anxiety right now. I'm so thankful that I remember that there is danger in front of me. Because look at these zebra. They are staring at death in the face. And then they're like, eh, it's fine. (laughs)
0: Nothing's going to (laughs) happen. I love that you brought that up because when I do keynotes, I show video – or I don't show video. I show photos of zebra and lions. And the same thing that makes you look at those zebra and go, no, 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 I'm I'm grateful for my anxiety. It's also important to know that wild animals don't get PTSD. Domestic Mm -hmm. animals do. But those zebra can be chased by lions, stared down by crocodiles, and then go on with their day because they don't get in their own way. But, you know, I showed this picture of a zebra that's like – the zebra not sitting there beating themselves up going, why is my heart racing? And why are my like feet sweating? And, you know, it's like, no, they understand physiologically. This I say they understand, like they're not conscious like that, but <laughs> like they know intuitively that's a threat. I need to escape the threat. Once I escape the threat, my body does body things. And then I can go about my day. And mm-hmm. Oh, if we could only sink our own, you know, our own mm-hmm. response cycles up, cause they're designed just like zebra. We just get in our mm-hmm. own way because we, we think too hard about our stuff and we minimize it. And we're like, no, this is bad. We call it something it's not. And then we spin, be like zebra, yeah. you know, face the threat, metabolize the threat, like, let it be what it is. And then we move on. But again, life's a lot more complicated. If only it was just, here's the crock. There it is. Now it's gone. Off you go. It's it's not quite so
1: simple, right? And it was introduced to me in the context that you just shared because we were looking at the zebra and we were talking about how they don't hold on to their fear mm-hmm. and they just shake it off. And and I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. If and only. then <laughs> the next day we were watching them at the crossing, and I was like, see, but there's a there's a downside to that yes. as well. So Both thank hands. you, human brain, for us being able <laughs> yes. to have those feelings. Yeah. Dana here. And guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos, has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm a 100% sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is calmthechaosbook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. Um, so the other thing that I know is probably extremely hard for people to hear. And that's why I think Jason wanted to be here so much because he always talks about this. What benefit are you getting from this? And you have all chapter on the benefits of staying stuck. And I I want to put the caveat, it, guys, go get the book. Um, Britt, Has such a compassionate way of sharing this, and it's not blaming or shaming you that you are stuck. Um, But, Britt, can you just share what you mean when you say, you know, there are benefits to staying stuck?
0: Mm -hmm. And thank you for disclaiming that this is not about shame. It's not like you're getting benefits out of it. Therefore, it's your fault. Therefore, it's, it's not that. It's, you know, if we could take all of the business development literature and apply it, it, there's a lot of crossover. So in a business, you do a cost-benefit analysis in order to make good decisions. Like you can't make a good decision in the business world if you don't look at both the costs and the benefits. Okay, so when it comes to our stuckness, whatever it is, if it's relational, financial, physical, whatever, we all know the costs. This is costing me my, my wellness and my sense of well being and my sense of worthiness and my connectivity. like all, we know what it's costing us to stay stuck, but the benefit column is always largely blank because no, 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 I'm getting nothing out of this. This is just bad. And that's just not true. And again, I'll use myself and I'll use, you know, I smoked crystal meth. So again, I'm not sitting here shaming anyone, nor am I justifying it. I am saying as much as that particular drug had a very high cost to my well-being and my sanity and my safety, there were benefits. And that's the icky truth that no one wants to look at. Cause it's like, oh no, 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 that's that's gross. It's like, well, let's take the morality off of it and just like get really, really pragmatic. What are the benefits to being a drug addict? Okay, again, I'm not saying it's good or that I should be. I'm saying there are benefits. Number one, I don't have to deal with my Things. If I'm high as a kite and on speed, I am in fact outrunning my pain. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. 10 out of 10, don't recommend, but it does work until it doesn't work. That's why we get addicted. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's, you know, I'm able to maintain this I'm fine, I'm fine, everything is fine illusion. Because when you're going really fast on speed, you feel great until you don't. And whatever our stuckness is, whether it's procrastination or not going to the gym, the nine benefits, I outline a whole list of benefits. Like one is just preserving the status quo. Making changes is scary. And when you make a change, even a good change, things are going to necessarily not all go your way. The biggest one was when I got healthy and happy and successful. I lost all my friends. It was like, wait a second. No one told me that when you make positive changes, some of your relationships are going to burn to the ground. And they needed to. And that's great. And it wasn't all of them. But I I think our brains are, are very much primed not for health, but they're primed for survival. And the thought of losing connectivity. Will keep us stuck. You know, I don't want to go to the gym and start working out because then I'm gonna miss out on happy hour every single day with my friends. That that's a very real benefit and a very real cost. So if we can take the shame out of it and just look at, you know, what 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 am I, what relationships am I worried about losing? What image am I worried about preserving? Financial risk, if you ever launch that business that you dream about, you don't have to worry about failing. And people won't see you fall on your face and you won't risk your money. So we need to look at the benefits because if that benefit mm-hmm. column is longer than the cost column, you're going to stay stuck.
1: I love that so much. And I love how you take these really complex concepts and you then say, here's how you can kind of walk through this. And I want to go through some of that in just a minute. But there is something that came up that every time you said it, I just wanted to be like, amen. (laughs) <laughs> sister, but basically, throughout the whole book, you say things like, You are not broken. nothing is wrong with you. There is nothing to be ashamed of. Can you just talk a little bit about why you felt it was so important to repeat that message over and over again in your mm-hmm.
0: book? So I grew up largely believing I was crazy. You know, I was just told like every all the women in your family are crazy. And here's what is going to happen to you. And those things did happen to me. And then it's like, okay, well I am defective. I am broken. I was part of a healing sect that was very invested in your brokenness and you need to like, just lean into your brokenness and all of that. And I just don't fundamentally believe that that's true. And that's just not my opinion. Like there's science to show that the things that we think make us broken are often our brains doing what brains are supposed to do. Again, that doesn't mean it's good, but especially the word crazy, that word drives me bananas because there's no such thing as a crazy person. Like we can feel crazy. People can make us feel crazy, but crazy is not a biological reality. Crazy is just a label we put on things we don't understand. So I did not understand why I was experiencing these terrifying, intrusive thoughts and weird body sensations and very unpleasant impulses. But I wasn't crazy. If you look at my story up close, it makes sense. And I have yet to see a client and I've worked private practice, inpatient psych, you know, foster care children who are homicidal, suicidal, psychotic. Nobody's stuff failed to make sense when you look at the case file. It's like,
1: oh, 100%. I
0: get how we got from here to here. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it makes sense. People are not broken. People will respond in very not good ways, but I do not believe there's such a thing as a broken person, which does not I mean don't take meds. It doesn't mean go to therapy. It doesn't mean that your pain is not real, but no, you're not broken. You're not crazy. You're not defective. It's your body adapted. Your brain did brain things and now we have a problem, but okay, but you're not crazy, you're not broken. It's not
1: a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I love that so much. And um, so people who are listening to this are parents and most of the parents are are really struggling with maybe their relationship with their child. Um, their child is maybe stuck in some maladaptive coping strategies and some other things like that. And what would you say to a parent if you only had five minutes to talk to them and they are just really struggling with understanding their kid, having compassion for maybe explosive behaviors even, what what would you want that parent to know?
0: Oh, that's so good. And you know, Full disclosure, I am not a parent. I was able to spend inordinate amounts of time studying child development and play therapy because I don't have children and I could do that. Um, so I would never tell someone how to parent. I I used to tell parents when they're like, why should I come to you or listen to you? You're not a parent. I'm like, I'm not telling you how to parent. I'm a child interpreter. Like I can decode what this behavior is. Parent mm-hmm. however you want. Like I have no idea how to parent a child. I can tell you what this behavior is pointing towards and what they're trying to communicate. So I'm a child interpreter, not a parent coach. And so let's start with the assumption that your child is not bad. Like, I'm not saying that what they're doing is not terrible, that they're not terrorizing the family and causing harm. You know, I've worked with little kids that have grabbed knives and have threatened animals and set fire. Like, I understand behaviors can be from the spectrum of annoying to life-threatening. But let's start with the assumption that your child is trying to communicate. If we can just start there, sometimes that's enough to keep the adults from going into taking it personally. And what does this mean about my parenting? And what does this mean about me? And now this child is triggering my trauma. If we can start with the assumption that you're not a bad parent and this is not a bad child, sometimes that reframe, if I only had five minutes, it would Mm -hmm. be what decisions would you make if you assumed that your baby is not spoiled, you know, like your toddler is not evil. What parenting decisions would you make? You know, would there be more compassion if you started with the assumption that this child loves you and is dying to be loved and is trying to communicate a pain point?
1: I could literally talk to you all day long, but I know we don't have all day. And so I think the last thing is you do such a great job of laying out very actionable steps that people can take instead of just giving them the philosophy or the thoughts or the science. And so, again, kind of like if someone's listening to this right now and this is resonating with them really well, I mean, one, go get the book, The Science of Stuck, but also, what could they do? right now, you have these little five minute exercises, mm-hmm. these do's and don't list, things like that. Like, what would you want to share knowing that the majority of them are parents and raising what I call challenging kids? Cause I actually think challenging is a good thing yeah. um, because they pushes us to learn more and do differently. And, um, but for, for parents, what, what would be kind of the exercise that you would Quote unquote prescribed.
0: And listen, parenting is hard. There's a reason I've chosen not to do it. Like, I have <laughs> immense respect for the difficulty that parents face. And I think, and I've heard this from every parent who feels safe enough to say it to me because I know I won't judge them. Every single parent, and I mean every single parent that I have ever sat in front of, has said the same thing I love my kid. I would die for my child. I can't imagine my life without them. And there are some days where Parts of me hate them and parts of me want to run screaming and catch the first flight to Saturn and just like say I quit. And the problem is is if we if if we, if parents try to pretend like that voice isn't there because they feel guilty. Oh my God, how could I have thought that? I'm a terrible person. Now you're expending really valuable energy that you need to parent this very difficult child, shaming yourself and then feeling at war with yourself. So it's easier, it's not easy, it's easier to parent when you have all of your brain bandwidth available. So if you are feeling those things, let's just normalize it. Like you're not alone, I promise you, despite what you see on Pinterest and Insta and whatever, every single parent has days where they're just like, I want a refund. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. So take five seconds and just say, okay, that makes me human. Doesn't make me a bad person. I'm struggling too. So the first prescription is validate. And again, without going into the brain science, there are a lot of really good brain things that happen when you take five seconds to validate Doesn't mean you should do the thing you're thinking of, but validate that it makes sense that you do. And right there, you're going to decrease just a little bit of reactivity, which then allows you to make choices. Anywhere choices are present, your reactivity is going to come down and your parenting level is going to come up. So the absence of choice is going to largely throw gasoline on the fire. So again, this is true for parents and whatever else you're dealing with. Ask yourself, what are my choices in this moment? Like, take a deep breath and meditate. Not a choice. I have three kids. Like, I have parents that are coming over in five minutes, and my boss wants me to jump on a call, and I have 90 minutes. Like, no, that's not an option. But what are your choices? Because we fight with ourselves over what we think, and then we fight with ourselves about our choices. Like, I don't like my options. You don't have to like them, but you need to know what they are, because just making a list of three choices will dial down your brain Enough that once your front brain, the logic part of your brain clicks on, it'll be a lot easier to do whatever it is you're faced with.
1: So, so good. Thank you so much for all of this amazingness. Like I said, I could talk to you all day long um, and you've given so many nuggets. And so where can people find you other than in the amazing book, The Science of Stuck? Where can people find you and learn more and follow you? Thank
0: you. So I have poor boundaries on social media because I'm on there all the time and I love meeting people and I answer every single DM. And so come find me. It's at Britt Frank and say hello. And my website is science scienceofstuck.com.
1: Wonderful. Britt, thank you so much for coming on. This is incredibly valuable and helpful. And I know that our listeners are going to absolutely love it. So go say hi to Brett, grab her book, The Science of Stuck and get unstuck. Thank you. All right. Bye guys. Oh, and before I go, one quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at CalmTheChaosBook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at CalmTheChaosBook.com and I'll see you next week.